Hey, Sales Lift Nation, it's Tyler Lindley here. I wanna welcome Dale Dupree from the Sales Rebellion to the podcast. How you doing, Dale? Good, Tyler, how are you doing, bro? Great, doing well, I appreciate you joining. So uh, uh, let's kick it off. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what is the Sales Rebellion, Dale? Yeah, well, my name is Dale Dupree. I'm the leader and co-founder of the Sales Rebellion alongside the architect of the Sales Rebellion, whose name is Jeffrey Villegas, one of my best friends in the world. Uh, I actually spent 13 years in the copier industry selling B2B. And you could actually argue that I spent a lot more time doing that if you looked at my whole entire life path, which is that my father founded his copier firm back in 1984. I was born in 1985. So a ton of runs in my blood, obviously. <laughs> I'm sure all of you were thinking that already. But <laughs> I've been going to the office with that guy since the day that I could look out of my own two eyes, quite frankly, or like pick up a mop. So I've been around copiers my whole entire existence. And it, it was natural for me at some point in my career to come back and do that with my father. Although I had a whole lot of other stuff that happened inside of my, my busy life. Shout out to my busy life. <laughs> but uh, all leading up to, to the sales rebellion itself, which is a coaching and training firm cool. uh, that a lot of people actually describe us as more psychologists of sales than we are actual sales trainers or counselors for salespeople more than anything. And I think that it's telling of where we're at in 2020 as salespeople as well too. But so we've seen a lot of dynamics and a lot of shifts over the last 10 years inside of sales. I've been a part of them the entire time, weaving and bobbing in and out of different issues and, and new and uh, improved ways of cold calling and the only way to cold call now and, and the best way to cold call now. I've been doing that for so long now that I decided I'm going to cut to the noise, start the sales rebellion and start going against the status quo. Cool. Awesome. I love it. So you mentioned psych, you're a sales psychologist or, therap or therapist. What exactly does that mean? And why, why might a sales rep need a psychologist? <laughs> It's interesting because a lot of times what inside of our sales walk, we have the support when it comes to somebody asking us if we hit our number every week mm. for the month, you know, but we don't really have somebody there asking us like how we're doing, mm. how we're handling things. And there's lots of rejection inside of sales. It's got its ups and downs, mm. which is the bottom line that sales is not easy. It's, it's not necessarily for the 1% either. I don't believe that, but I do, I do believe that you have to have it in you to be in sales to some capacity because there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of things that you can't control. Uh, but there's also a lot of fate and destiny that happens inside of sales at the same time that you can't control things. Your hard work and perseverance is really what defines your outcomes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need somebody to talk to those things about more than you do needing to hear from somebody about, Hey, did you hit your number yet? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Do you find that it's hard? Do you think for sales managers to have that kind of a relationship with their direct reports? Do you think that they have a tough time maybe cutting through to more of the personal side of sales? They're, they're so focused on the numbers because that's what they're hearing from above that they, they can't have that relationship or maybe they just, they aren't taught that's important. What do you think? For being real, there's a couple that to me, there's a couple different reasons why. And uh, the first reason is that our leaders in most cases were not taught or raised up in the sales world to be like that to begin with. They were alone on an island, made hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars selling on their own by themselves and expect for you to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They understand the concept of nobody cares as much as you, which is a really, it's a really good statement. Now, I do believe that is still very relevant 
in the sales world today because nobody cares as much as you. <laughs> but I believe that we need to start to adapt the next part of that sentence, which is except for me. Mm. And as soon as we can start to say that at the end of the sentence, then we will reconnect ourselves with the human beings that we're trying to lead in the first place. And we'll reconnect ourselves with our clients and our prospects. But furthermore, it, that the job of the boss, because it's not just about the way that they've been nurtured or taught to help others in a leadership role. It's also their job to make sure that these numbers are hit. And that's about it, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it comes even higher up than just the sales VP or the sales manager in most cases when it comes to helping us to, as a society, as a sales society, to start to evolve in the direction of being more personable and personal with our reps so that we can help them to succeed yep. a lot easier. Yep, I agree. At the end of the day, we're talking about I know sometimes salespeople aren't considered human, but at the end of the day, most salespeople I know are humans and they have they have ups and downs. They have emotional internal things they're dealing with. And I think I do think that managers could, if they did, maybe lend an ear to some of those things they might be struggling with versus what are you going to do? What have you done for me lately? Where do we stand on the forecast? I think that kind of droning sentiment can become a little bit uh, defeating for a lot of sales reps. So uh, I think it's an important point and I'm glad you bring it up. Let's talk a little bit about copier sales. Uh, What did you learn selling copiers? How did you sell copiers? Are you still involved in that business? Tell me a little bit more about that. I'm I'm very interested. I learned learned that everybody hates the copier salesman. (laughs) We have a book coming out right now, Jeff and I, that he co-authored with me called How to Start a Sales Rebellion. And and it's the tales of the copier warrior. Mm. And and it's going to discuss a lot of the things that I've done and throughout my career and and which also divulges the rebellion system to the masses. But... Mm. We're also starting a book that's called Everybody Hates Salespeople that we're right in the middle of, of putting together. And, it, and those two things go together, copier sales and that book. <laughs> and, and I think that there's a lot of people that are probably listening right now that are in some kind of commodity sale that can say, dude, I feel you on that, man. Like, I feel like everybody hates me, the internet provider, the cell phone provider. Like, there are more than just the copier sale that are treated this way in the sales world, but it all stems down from generationally to think back to the last time you bought a car and what your experience was, or you bought insurance and what your experience was. Were you going to need this? Because what if you die? Or here, let me, I'm going to cut all the prices. I'm going to slash all the interest rates. And then you get the car and you still find something that they snuck in there that you didn't realize. (laughs) I mean, there's always something like people that say, Oh, I got this great deal in the car. I always respond to them and go, yeah, but you bought the car. You know, so like, you, you lose. Like, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so but I, I think in the, co- in the copier world, uh, for me, it was so prevalent and relevant to mm. my sales walk that I was quick to say, I'm not going to deal with this. Now, I come from a music background. Before that, I spent about five, six years touring all over the United States with a, a heavy metal band that was on an indie label and then signed to a major record label shortly after. Cool. And, and so I, my dealings in the business world were, were fun and entertaining <laughs> and creative. Mm-hmm. Every night we were playing for strangers. I knew how to talk to somebody I didn't know just fine. It, right. and, and matter of fact, it was so much less weird in a B2B setting than it was at a show. Because for the most part, the people that were coming to those metal shows were really weird. So don't <laughs> hear me judging you, metalheads, because I am one. But like y'all are weird. Like We're all really weird people. But I, I could humanize 
what I was doing a lot better Mm -hmm. inside of the B2B world. And, and so it was easier for me to start to create a creative brand and, and to make a copy machine fun again and less boring Mm -hmm. as I like to say. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that your brand, especially in the sales trainer, sales psychologist realm is definitely unique. I think it is edgier and I think that shines through. So I think you're doing a great job there. One, one thing I like to ask everybody, Dale, is this podcast is about sales enablement. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what does sales enablement mean to you? And, and when you think of that word, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, so with sales enablement, this is how it was. This was what sales enablement was to me when I was a rep. It was my boss giving me the tools, the ability, and also the options mm-hmm. to be able to think outside the box, to create better customer engagement, to run better appointments, instead of being so rigid and, mm-hmm. and timid throughout the or or overbearing even throughout the process. So I was able to do Dale's thing, uh, for lack of a better term, inside of my sales walk because of the sales enablement that I was provided. I know that it has a lot of different meaning. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that offline just a little bit about how everybody has this different idea behind it. But sales enablement is the process of being able to help a sales rep to innovate, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to create a better process with their prospect. And a lot of that comes down to, from my perspective, the creativity that we allow them to, to harness because not all salespeople are going to be creative. I talk to people all the time, like I can't shoot videos like you've done. I can't write content or copy like you have, but it doesn't matter if you have a sales enablement arm, they do all that crap for you. Like in most cases in in the past, like for me, it was my marketing arm. It was Mm. the people that I was teamed up with on a market on the marketing side that were really creating the most sales enablement because I started to say, all right, so what happens after the sale? Well, I want referrals. Well, 99% of salespeople just get on the phone or send an email or show up at the office and say, give me a referral, Mm -hmm. right? Where I put a process together and we created a system around it where we also had, we had marketing tools with that as well too, where we were giving people an experience. So sales enablement too, for me, is the experience we give the prospect themselves as well. I think those two things are very combined inside of what sales enablement is. And in the year 2020, I think it's one of the most important things. And I I know that we've started to see sales enablement managers Mm -hmm. now as roles inside of organizations. But I think it's sick because we should be doing that. It it will help to bridge the gap with marketing as well too a lot better because we are still, I don't care what anybody says, fighting with the marketing department as if somehow one of us is better than the other. That is still a thing that's very relevant in this day and age in the year 2020, which is crazy to me because in the year 2009, I said sales is marketing and marketing sales. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there hearing this right now and going, no, you're wrong. And sure, whatever guys, because I made, I sold millions of dollars of Mm. coffee machines year over year to net new prospects with the mentality that I just laid out. So if you don't have that mentality, you're missing out. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I think you're starting to hear that more and more that marketing and sales are just are, are blending so much. Sales reps are getting involved later in the process. Inbound was a big thing over the last 10 years. And I still think outbound has its place as well. I think it's both. Uh, and you also bring up the relationship between sales and marketing, which I think has always been an interesting one. It's always been a little combative, but at the end of the day, it should be there should be more synergy. There should be more friendliness and conversations, I think, too. And that sometimes I think that the two groups don't even speak. If you were trying to align your sales and marketing efforts within an organization, if you were trying to create some alignment and uh, solve some of those issues that might happen from those two groups being misaligned, what would you do? How would you go about you know, creating a an organization, a sales team and a marketing team that work well together and, and create create something special for the organization? 
I think that it's important for salespeople to understand what marketing is. A lot of times salespeople just think that marketing are the folks that hand them these brochures that get thrown away. Mm -hmm. And and so they resent them for that. And I think it's important for marketing to understand what sales is, because I think that for the most part, marketing people just smack their head when they hear that this guy who they gave all this marketing material to only converted one sale this month. So it's this back and forth of misunderstanding of the roles Mm -hmm. and what the salesperson deals with on a daily basis with the prospect and vice versa. So I think you know, because marketing is saying, this is how you do marketing and sales is saying, this is how you do sales, that it doesn't come out cohesively at the end of the day. And that sitting down with your, when I started to sit down with my marketing teams and said, and now these were external teams, I should note that I, I sat down and just said, I want to change this entire game and landscape for my career and hopefully for sales in general at some point back in 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. when we started creating like the first instance of the, the rebel letter campaign, which I'm not sure if you've seen before that we sell online, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is entirely marketing run and driven when it comes to the creativity and the contest behind it, but it's outbound pushed. So it is a cohesion between the two and it's sick because it, re- it gives us the results that we need from the work ethic side to the creative side to the experiential side when it comes down to, to fusing sales and marketing together into what they need, because I think that those are the problems. Those are the real problems is that either our marketing isn't relaying to the prospect what we need it to relay and the salespeople don't believe in it mm-hmm. and because they don't believe in it. They don't even care about it. They just talk smack about it to everybody or the opposite. And so I think break cohesively bringing the two together, it starts with them educating each other on what they deal with on a daily basis. This is what my prospect says. This yep. is what happens, but also Marketing people have to understand a bigger picture. They don't have to just understand what their salespeople are going through. They need to understand what all the other companies' salespeople are going through as well, too. So that they can say, all right, 20 people are doing it this way, then we're going to be the the one rebel and stick out like a sore thumb. Makes sense. Do you think it's sales reps' responsibility to get in touch with that creative side themselves uh, more? Or do you think they should maybe just talk to folks in marketing more and, and feed off of some of that creative energy. Uh, I guess I'm wondering, should sales, should sales reps become more of a marketer or should they just interact more with their marketing team? I think it's a personal choice, to be quite frank with you. Because hmm. uh, I, I think that it takes an effort if you're not naturally creative to be creative. I'm naturally a creative person. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I was born into this world like literally it's like genetic for me so for me it it was easy it's easy to be creative i'm over the top though so i have to have somebody like that's like yo like bring it down just a little bit dude like you riding you know (laughs) three giant tigers into the the distance with copy machines behind you is probably not going to be seen very well by your prospects but you know you pulling a sword out of them and proclaiming that this is what you believe your job is every day was <laughs> different you know so so that whole concept of helping creative people to be to define their creativity to, to the marketplace but also people that are not creative they it's, it's something that they have to sit back and say like this is what I want and desire mm-hmm. because it's not easy and and people that sit back and say i'm not good at creativity they need to understand it's probably burning holes in a lot more places than just their sales walk like if you have a significant other and you're not creative, then I don't even want to talk about what that's like. That's going to suck. Every year for my anniversary, we do something awesome and it's experiential for her and for I and, and myself. And it's, it is the, the concept of like keeping life worth living mm-hmm. is what creativity really is. But it, so it translates into relationships, into your daily walk, into your morning routine, into your relationship with your children. If you have them, the neighbor's, 
with processes, with procedures, with policies, with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so creativity is more than just a, a very powerful sales tool. It's a powerful life tool. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. No, it's a great point. Uh, I think we can all stand to be a little bit more creative, regardless of what we do, regardless of what our roles are personally and professionally. One, one conversation that you and I, uh, are, I jumped into online that you were having, Dale, was about sales onboarding and some best practices for getting reps up, new reps up to speed, creating that system and process of how you're going to ramp reps, what setting proper expectations, I guess. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what do you see are some best practices with sales onboarding now in 2020 and what are companies doing well and where are they really missing the boat when it comes to sales onboarding? Yeah. What, where they're missing the boat is that they think that they have a, a good onboarding program because they've got like 90 hours worth of training hmm. that they do with the rep. That's all based around products and internal knowledge of the company and, and what it does. And while these things are extremely important, they should be a couple hours for someone to say, this is the department and what they, what it does. Yep. And then for them to learn the product and what it does. It, because they get so bogged down into the process that then when they go out to the prospect, they have this thing. That's all that's working in the back of their head. Like, this is my process. This is what's internal. Mm-hmm. This is my product. And it causes them to crap the bed mm-hmm. more times than not. Yep. And so for for me, it's people that tout these big, oh, we have the best onboarding prize. It's like four weeks long. It's like, oh my God, like for real, dude? Like it should be a couple days and we should be then cutting and releasing the reps into the wild and letting them have experiences to learn more about how they can be better, what it is their role is positioned to do inside of the community, who's in the community in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and I think too, it's, it's this concept like with my dad and even the way that when I worked for him and, and the way that when I had a boss and when I was the boss, the way that I transcended the, the stereotype of that is that I would allow my people to learn. Hmm. more than anything. I also, I love to give them training. We don't give people training enough training. Like we think that we do it right. You need to be buying training from somebody else for your people to understand. Mm -hmm. You know, if the manufacturer that you represent provides training, you need to be giving it to your people. You need to let them take the flight to Texas or California or New York and take the, the classes and learn like outside of just what it is that they read in your manual and handbook and, and how you think that they should be learning because it's a human sitting across the table from you that is something that either genera- generationally is something you're not familiar with, mm-hmm. even no matter what you think, or as a, from a personality standpoint, uh, and their experiences in life and everything else, are they're going to be different from yours. And so trying to force your success onto them is where the buck stops. And so having these very rigid, very tailored onboarding processes are crazy. Yeah. We need to throw reps into just random situations in some cases <laughs> and be like, what do you do? You know, yeah. and like, and because the thing is that nobody's going to die, right? Like they're not going to die. It might be a little awkward at times. It might even be problematic for the prospect. But I remember the first time my dad sent a service technician who had never done a service call before to a very well placed client that mm-hmm. we had, that we'd had for like 25 years. And, they, and the rep was like, oh my, or the service <laughs> tech was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do, right. man. I'm freaking out. But we got through it at the end right. of the day and it created a better relationship with us and the prospect and the rep and even the prospect. I remember them saying, thanks for sending that guy like and trusting us with him. Yep. Like that's cohesiveness, right? Yep. There. That's a relationship. So exactly. We need to start heading in that direction. Yeah, I do agree with the fact of sometimes just throwing people out, you know, into the wild, if you will, uh, get them on calls, get them at least at a minimum shadowing people uh, versus classroom style learning that 
like you said, is a lot about the internal, it's, it's internal processes, internal, here's what we think about ourselves, but it's not what the prospects think. It's not what you're actually going to hear. And that is the real world scenarios that are, that you're going to actually be judged on, not how well you can recite the employee handbook. And yeah, if I can give a quick, just a real life scenario of this just yeah. happened, I'll, I'll make it real brief is that I recently did an onboarding for a rep for a big company that we support. Right. And they brought one rep in and they, it doesn't matter if they bring one or 10, they, they put them through this onboarding process where they have their internal onboarding and then I come out. Okay. And so when I came out, did our first session, it took about two hours in the beginning of the day. And then I put the rep on the phone, which a lot of people are like, you can't just stick a rep on the phone supervision. <laughs> well, I do it. So we did the first 10 calls together. And then I say, all right, I'll see you in a couple hours. Yep. And I basically leave for the rest of the day. And they don't really know that I'm not coming back until like 4.30, but they stay <laughs> on the phone. And so I sat down with them and I, and I said, cool, how'd it go? He's like, I made 75 calls and I set one appointment. Yep. And of course I was stoked for him because setting one appointment on your first day, especially after 75 calls is exciting. Mm -hmm. and, and so I was giving him a high five and saying like, awesome dude, like congrats. Like, how does it feel? And he goes, it sucks. And I said, really tell me more about that. And he's like, it sucks. All this, like all this calling, no one wants to talk to me. No one is interested in, in, in a sales rep cold calling them asking about copy machines. And mm. I just sat there and was like, yeah, dude, you got to experience that though, instead of me telling you that. So now mm. it's your truth. And he said, dude, that's it. Like it, I feel it. He's like, I experienced it. I feel it. That's it. Now I know it. And I said, what are you going to do tomorrow? And he said, not this. And I said, but how are you going to set that one appointment? He said, I'm going to, I'm going to take everything I've learned today and I'm going to start to evolve and adapt my, my pitch, my production, hmm. uh, everything that I do from a work ethic standpoint in an eight hour day to get that one appointment more efficiently uh, with a lot more clarity. Cause even the appointment that he did get, he said it felt forced hmm. and that it might get canceled. Right? <laughs> and it probably, it probably did. Yeah. Quite frankly, it but, definitely did. But he was with, it definitely did. But I'll say this, that in his first 30 days, he sold a deal and it was $40,000 in revenue. Wow. It's a big deal for him. You have your first sale when your typical transaction is seven to $8,000 and you sold $40,000 deal. So to back up your statement and my story from earlier, or my statement from earlier is with that story, it's, it's what this generation needs. Grandpa can say, I used to walk a mile in the snow to get mm -hmm. to school. We don't know. We don't even understand that. Like we just roll our eyes at it. But when we experience mm -hmm. what our prospect goes through, on a daily basis, it changes the game for the way that we approach the market. And it's almost, I, I loved your line, getting to that moment of truth for them. They need to get to that as soon as possible. And, and they're not going to get to it in a classroom, figuring out what the mission statement is and where the company is going to be in 10 years. They're going to figure it out by getting on the phone, by sending emails, by actually talking to someone in marketing and then starting to try things and innovate and make mistakes so that they figure out, I'm gonna either going to figure this out or I'm going to fall flat on my face. But we need to also throw people into the deep end to see if they can swim or not either. There's no point in us wasting True. four weeks and a, a ton of time and money on someone that's going to fail the first day they get on the phone and realize, I don't want to be in sales. It's like, why did I just spend all that money and time on you thinking that you did? Like, hopefully you find that out in the interview process, but maybe some people slip through the cracks. Some people can yes. slip through the cracks. You end up getting somebody that is not supposed to be in sales. You've trained them up, put a ton of effort in the sales role, and then they leave. And then you're left holding the bag of going, 
going and trying to find someone else when you could have figured that out in in two hours in your example there. I do agree. We need to start getting people out into the real world, even if it's just role playing internally. I think we could find out a lot role playing. If you and I did a role play right now, we would know what we need to work on and then ready to start applying it on the phone. I think it's a unique idea of getting to that moment of truth earlier. Do you think that companies should try to systematize that to try to just build that into their process? Uh, or should they just bring you on and have you throw the reps into the fire uh, on the first day? Or what do you think would be best practice for these companies that maybe aren't doing that right now? A little bit of both. <laughs> I, it really depends on the fit because there are people that have that we have turned down in our walk so far that they just want to bring me on because they want to say that they did train it and because they yep. want their people to sell more. I want people to be better. I want people to believe in what they do. I want people to be on fire to come to work every day. And if you don't hire me for those reasons, then I'm not going to ever say yes to doing business with you to begin with. Hmm. You know, so we, we are a little picky about that side of it, but I think that it's going to create a better business atmosphere and ecosystem for us at the end of the day, which is going to cause us to push harder and strive for more and always be worried about the things that matter for the reps and for the system that's being created by the company and that's being enforced through our teachings as well too, mm-hmm. that we won't get lackadaisical in those things. But but I believe it's a little bit of both because I, I do believe that when you believe in your people enough to bring in some type of outside sales training, they feel that belief as well too. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a little bit of pressure as well, but a good kind because they say to themselves, man, this company really wants me to succeed. They gave me this sales coach. They put me through these courses. They have this pretty awesome onboarding system where I get to talk about how I feel at the end of the day, instead of just like showing my KPIs. You know, this, <laughs> is, this is different than what most I'm, I'm used to. And I want this when we can help people to want it more. Mm-hmm. That's when they become successful. We drive them away with the way that we do it now constantly. It's why so many very good or very capable salespeople end up stopping to some capacity, whether that's taking an inside sales role and just literally fielding inbound calls Mm -hmm. when they are the best outbound agent you've ever met in your life. There's all these little things that happen or they just get out of it altogether. They go work for their father-in-law in construction. I've heard that story too, man. So it sucks. We need to treat sales better. Yeah, no, I agree. And sometimes I think it's as simple as what you said is, is how do you feel? Uh, Because at the end of the day, that's almost more important than anything because how you feel about your sales and and going into each day, that how you feel usually does drive everything. It drives your results, it drives your behaviors, and it ends up impacting all those KPIs and everything, quotas and everything that leadership might uh, say, this is all we care about, but they should be caring about how do those reps feel. Do you think that companies are better off training internally, like letting sales managers or an internal sales trainer or onboarding guy or gal handle ongoing training? Or do you think that companies need to bring in an outside resource to be that sales coach, that other eyes and ears that can see things from a fresh perspective. What do you think is best? Uh, obviously, it might depend on the organization, but what have you seen as you've gone in, uh, whether they already have it or whether they might be considering bringing in an outsourced uh, resource for ongoing sales training? I'm a fan of both personally. And, and I, I, I think too, that like, we don't tell people that to use the sales rebellion until the day they die either. We're not opposed to, to somebody saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to try a different company over the next six months. And then we'll call you when we're done with that. And, you know, maybe even come back to us. We're not trying to, to steal their business forever. We're trying to help their people at the yeah. end of the day. It's our focus. So even if we enabled a sales trader to, to do our job for us internally, we're okay with that too. Like, yep. Cause again, this is it's the bigger picture here is about what's best for the folks 
that they're hiring, what's best for the organization, and what's best for the community in which we serve, our prospects. We, we leave them out of the, of the system so many times when we create it. And we just say, oh, they're out there buying, so we'll find them and we'll get them. But we're, we're not really cognizant of them when we build our internal system and how we're training our folks at the end of the day. It's almost as if like they're the prey and we're the hunters on, in all aspects, even inbound. And, and how are we going to slice these guys up and get them to spend money with us? And you know, so for, for us at the Sales Rebellion, and, and there's nine of us, by the way, you know, exclusively telling you that right now, there's nine of us. We've been training a bunch of coaches on the back end, and we're about to start announcing them. But uh, we're going to build a big sales organization where mm-hmm. you, can ha- you can be trained by Dale, or then you can be trained by Chris Watson you know, who, in storytelling, who has a, the pedigree in storytelling. You can then talk to Jack Wilson, who's the, the guy that can help you to truly understand your why and your, the, the whole concept of why it is that you're, as a sales rep, that you exist in the first place. So you can learn our system, and then you can learn all these different subsets of systems as well inside of it. Because I think that learning is ongoing. Mm-hmm. I think that it's never going to stop. I'm still learning. I don't have a coach right now, but I'm betting a few. And as soon as I have the time again, I'll be definitely be, you know, back in front of a coach. But I still have mentors to get on the phone with them all the time. Hey, man, I'm doing this. Right. Hey, hey, how's it going? I'm doing that. What kind of advice can you give me? If we're living in that space more so than who is doing the training, then we'll be in a we'll be in a better existence moving yep. forward. Yep. No, I agree. Awesome. I want to take us to our lightning round. A couple of questions I'd like to ask everybody, Dale, if you can just answer off the cuff here, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? How to Get a Meeting with Anybody by Stu Hynek, because that's the only book that matters. Awesome. <laughs> that's a good enough reason for me. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite home cooked meal made by you or someone in your family? I make a pretty awesome burger because I actually grind my meat. So I, I will buy different cuts and you'll have the best burger in your life. But my mother makes a chicken spaghetti that's freaking disturbingly good because wow. you know, everything's in a can and, and genetically modified. So it's beautiful. So. <laughs> what any special tips on the burger blend? Is that something you'd give away or does it change every time or? Yeah, if uh, anybody ever comes over to my house and has the burger, I'll tell you straight up when you're <laughs> over there hanging out with me, helping me cut all the meat up. But uh, on the podcast, no way. <laughs> I will say this. The fat that you want to use, you want to use pork fat, so bacon mm. is the best way to do it. But also a little bit of the trim off of a nice brisket. So not just the lean part of the brisket, but nice some of the, the fatty yep. tissue off of the brisket as well, too. Awesome. And then a couple other cuts. It's all about <laughs> getting that right ratio of fat to meat. So I uh, love it. So uh, what uh, software tool or app could you not live without, Dale? Dude, I just found this app called or this uh, tool called Timular. So actually shout out to Jesse Harwell with perfectcopier.com. He actually gifted it to me. And, and it is this little diagram. Like it's just, I don't have it sitting in front of me. It's so hard to describe. It's experiential, right? It's this little thing that when I have it sitting on a certain side of the die, it's like an eight sided die. It tells me what I need to be doing and it tracks it. And so it's actually timing me. And so it like, I can see how long I was supposed to be doing that. And if I didn't do it, it tells me. So, is it so a, I like it's time a management. Com- computer app or what is, is it? It's an app that, that loads the computer, but then it's a little Bluetooth device that you just take with you at all times. It's always <laughs> turned on unless okay. you have it in off position. So if I'm sitting down on my phone or I'm sitting at my laptop, huh. I can, it'll tell me you're supposed to be doing this. And so if I start checking something else or doing something I'm not supposed to be doing, it stops me. Because I believe that time management is the key to success. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have to send me the links to that. We'll I'll put it in the show notes. If you could go back in time 10 years and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? 
So I love this question because I always answer it the same way, which is that I'd go back 10 years, I'd sit in front of my 24-year-old self, and I'd try to tell him all these things that are going to make his life easier. And he would most likely just sit there one ear out the other, look at me with a blank stare, chug a beer, kick through the door, jump in the car, <laughs> squeal on the driveway and be like, I'll do it myself and I'll see you on the, at the finish line. Because I think one of the most important things that we forget is that our failures and that our experiences are ours for a reason. Yep. And we're in the place that we are now of success because of all the crap that's happened. So it doesn't matter what you tell yourself. If you try to shortcut something, if you try to tell yourself, do it this way differently, I guarantee you something else would have happened, would happen to you. And then you'd be like, oh, what do I do in this situation? <laughs> so I, I think that we have to take a different approach on the way that we look at how we give ourselves advice. Yeah. It's a great question. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. How can my listeners find you online, Dale? salesrebellion.com. They can go to linkedin.com backslash copierwarrior. I have a podcast called Selling Local. They can find me on TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Sales Rebellion or at Leader of the Sales Rebellion for TikTok. Everything else is at Sales Rebellion. Cool. Facebook even. Awesome. I'm even on Facebook, bro. Oh, crazy. Facebook. Is that still a thing? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Awesome. So uh, we will link to all those in the show notes. Dale, I want to really appreciate you coming on. A great conversation today. We'll have you back on to talk, talk more sales. and. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the... T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.